Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee, and with me today is Terry Ishi in Austin, Texas. How you doing, Terry? I'm good, man. And also with us is Beth Wolf in Clarksburg. Uh, it's Maryland, right? Clarksburg, Maryland. We're Maryland. Yep, there you go. So Clarksburg, Maryland. Uh, real close to Virginia, though, right? You're yeah, right real close. We're just 18 miles north of D.C. So yeah. you just lump us all in together in the greater D.C. area. So here's one of my fun things about, about Beth. Two things. One, if you want to know more about Beth and what she's doing in Clarksburg, uh, she was part of our first uh, season in our podcast. So go check that out. Roland interviewed her. It was a great. Just go go check that out. But the other thing, too, is this. If you Google Beth Wolf, okay, and it's with two Fs, Beth Wolf, the first couple of pages on Google is a realtor in Texas. And there is an image that pops up with this realtor that I... Mm, <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but just go. And that is not what Beth Wolf looks like at all. So, but it's beautiful. It's like two or three pages deep. Like Beth, you need to get your name out there a little bit more because it's just one realtor. I'm very aware that I need to best the realtor. I am very aware. (laughs) It's she goes two to three pages deep on Google, man. You're going to have to do something phenomenal or something criminal. I don't know which one, but it's not going to happen. I'll just. I'll succumb to the realtor. It's all right. <laughs> it, it could happen on this podcast. It's just, you just say the wrong thing. And that, this could be it. This could be, the, this could be the launching point. Let's hope that's not why that happens. That's right. It'd be great. Uh, well, uh, what, one of the reasons we we want to have uh, Beth here on the podcast with us is uh, Beth is a returning guest. She is a big part of the Forge tribe. If you've ever been on one of our webinars, you're most likely to hear her voice as she's often and frequently a host for uh, for those. Uh, we are starting a series uh, this season on the podcast uh, entitled Questions the Church Should Be Asking. And so when we sat down and thought through who in the world do we want to have a conversation uh, about this? Uh, Beth, you were one of the, the first names that we kind of put down. And so um, this is kind of a, a, a little ambiguous. It's kind of a vague thing. So it, it, we have no idea if this thing's even going to work, but I, I like the idea um, with so many circumstances going on in the church. Um, I think there are a lot of questions mm-hmm. the church should be asking. And so we'd love to kind of get your perspective and what you what you as a, a, a pastor and a leader at, at Clarksburg Church, what are the questions you find yourself asking and what do you what do you hear others around you asking? That's that's great. So um, if I'm going to be totally honest about like, what are the questions the church or pastors or people in the church should be asking um, as a result of this whole time, 2020 pandemic coming out of that, um, all of the cultural wars that have been going on. I think that the first question that at least I've been asking myself is why does the church even matter anymore? Mm, And I know that that's like, you're not supposed to ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so for coming out small, like you just like hit a home run, like your first swing. Oh my gosh, that is a. Well, I, I mean, that's really it because yeah. I this is true of my story, but I think it's true of every pastor that I have am in personal relationship with. Is just this question of like, what am I even doing anymore? Just yeah. this this wondering about 
why does my job matter? And especially if you are a pastor who is leading a church that recognizes that Sunday mornings isn't all there is and isn't all a church should be, that it's got to be about something more than that. Um, with that also comes the reality of like, we've been in the season where at least our church has been predominantly online. I think that, that we had in the building opportunities back in November in the fall, um, but very few people even came back, like very, very few people came back. And so, so after however many months of speaking into the dark hole, the soul sucking energy sucking camera, um, and trying to just pump up enough energy. And then after that, people not coming back. And then when it's safer to come back, then people are sort of like, ah, do I even want to come back? Like I discovered brunch and brunch is really awesome. Um, and I agree. I want to be at brunch too. Um, so then just the questions, all the questions about like, why, yeah. Why does the church even matter? Yeah. I remember early on in the pandemic interviewing other pastors. And one of the things I was told was that children's pastors across the country were just resigning in drove because they literally said, well, we're not gathering on Sunday. What the heck is my job? I don't even know what to do anymore. I have nothing. And so, you know, people got creative. They try to come up with things, how we're going to come alongside our kids. But now you're seeing that more and more uh, for pastors. It, you know, it, okay, I'm sorry. Not just children's pastors, but pastors in all kinds of different avenues. They're right. just saying, no, I don't even know what my job is anymore. I don't know what I'm what I'm supposed to be doing. So, yeah, I agree. That's a great question. Yeah. Dan White uh, posted just recently on his social media that uh, just in the last year, he's personally known 28 pastors who have resigned uh, and, and tying a lot of it back to fatigue and like, just not knowing, you know, again, getting to the root of, of the question that, that Beth is asking. Um, this is something that I've, I've felt for a long time. And it's funny, anytime I work with um, some of my former students, people I've pastored over the years that, you know, they move, I'll, I'll reach out to someone in that city and say, hey, give me a church recommendation. If, if you didn't work at the church you go to, what are the churches you would check out? What, what churches would you be a part of in your city? And just thinking I'm going to get like, these recommendations of these amazing churches and what's cool going on in the city. And almost every time it comes back, well, if I wasn't leading at my church, I probably wouldn't go to church. And so that, it's wow. just that, but that's the reality. There are just so many people who feel that way. And, you know, I think we're, I think one thing is it's safe to say that the church is about to experience uh, this, this shedding, you know, almost like a, a snake shed skin, this layer that's just going to kind of flake off that we're going to lose the, that crust of people who are just kind of consuming, but consuming at a, a rate of, is it really worth it? Right. I think there are going to be a lot of people who are just kind of hanging in there um, for whatever reasons, maybe guilt or some uh, obligation of duty, or maybe because grandma did it and all of that, where I think more and more people, this pandemic are realizing is like, brunch is, sounds pretty awesome. Like, I, 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 can we figure out how to do brunch every Sunday? What you described in terms of the crust that has to fall off is, is exactly right. That there, um, I think it's true that people continued this practice as a result of just 
this is just what we did. But I also think the other thing is, is that there were relationships that kept people coming back on a Sunday morning, um, volunteer opportunities, duty, you said one of those, but, but those relationships that kept people coming back to the church that they didn't even want to participate in, or they didn't really even like, or think was that good or that life tra transforming. And once those relationships fell off, I mean, it's a year and they haven't seen those people before. Um, I think that once those relationships kind of just dried up, there really was no reason to come back. Mm -hmm. And so this is a great time to ask the question, both as pastors, as leaders, but also as people of faith, well, why is church important? And I'm not, I, I think that when you ask that question, the thought is, well, maybe it's not. And I don't, I think that if you stay at a surface level, that's the answer you get to. Sure. But I think that it draws us to a deeper sort of point of reflection to try to figure out, okay, yeah, why why does this matter? Like what's, what are we really supposed to be about? Yeah, and I think it exposes a, a lot of how we've operated as the church in the West, where, especially when we talk about community, I mean, you're, you're talking about these relationships that people were tied into. And so they're, they're coming back for that. But um, as soon as those, those relationships, that, that, that idea of community was challenged. It didn't survive. Right. And that goes, that goes back to the church. We, we talk a ton about community. I mean, it's one of the, the, the pillars of the church in the West community, this community, that, I mean, how many churches have the word community in their name? Um, but we still end up with a fairly weak uh, idea of what community is. And, it, and it's often, you know, we, we say this over and over again, community for the sake of community often becomes quite boring. Uh, right. it, it leaves you wanting. Um, and so if, if it doesn't now, it, it reminds me of my daughter's friendships um, through the pandemic. It's like she was in eighth grade when the pandemic hit. She, our, our situation, our circumstance, the middle school, half the kids go to one high school, the other half goes to another high school. And then we also have this like free choice. So you can choose to go to another high school. So high school three or high school four or five, or whatever. So you have all of these kids who are kind of spreading out. And so the real, the only real way to stay connected is digitally through connection, which I'm like, in my mind thinking they're generation Z, they, they've got this figured out. Like in my day, that would have spelled the end of any friendship, right? Like when I was a kid, if you had a girlfriend in May, you broke up with her before school ended because you knew you <laughs> were going no to connect. The summer. There was yeah. no way to survive the summer because you didn't have text message or all of these different things to stay connected. And you came back the next school year and like, she's like two inches taller than you. And you're like, whoa. And you know, voices have changed and all of that. That was the surprise of year in, year out. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, these kids are so connected. It's, it's, they're, it, they're going to navigate this easily. Well, come to find out they suck at communication just as much as we do. Yeah. And they're not texting and doing that. And so you have all of these relationships that were like, this was my best bestie in eighth grade, but yeah. like you, it hasn't, it hasn't translated to a deep, meaningful relationship because you go to two different schools. And I think that's what we're finding is the relationships that we've created in church, which in our minds, we thought they are our best besties, but like in the pandemic, we, we really haven't kind of connected we haven't really reached out and and they've drifted and we've drifted and you know it's it's that thing where well i'm not going to blame them because i haven't really reached out and they're probably saying the same narrative in their head and so it's this idea of this like lukewarm you know mediocre type of community and we just know that's not going to get it done and so if we're not calling people to something more meaningful and deeper right. then community for community's sake 
of course those relationships are going to not not going to last any any test of time or or substance and so yeah i mean i i i think you're dead on and so my kind of question so my my second question is how do how do we move on from here like what's how do we navigate that so i think that before we jump into the practical realities of like, okay, how do we move forward from this place? First of all, I like, I don't want to overshadow that with or overshadow the other side with the tunnel of chaos that has been experienced by myself for the past year. Um, like, I don't know how many counseling appointments have been me on the phone with my counselor or in zoom calls, like crying, saying, I can't do this anymore. Um, or my direct report. Um, we have a larger church that kind of is the head of our smaller church. We're independent, but we share a lot of, um, resources and different things like that. And so me calling that pastor and just being like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, I, I don't know. And it's been interesting because when you think about like one of the things that my direct report has talked about that the senior pastor of that larger church has said to me is like, Hey, what are your people saying? Like, what are the people in your congregation saying about how you're doing and what's going on? And I'm like, honestly, they say everything's going great. Like, yes, good job, Beth. You're doing such a great, thank you for showing up. And meanwhile, inside of my soul, I feel like I am failing at life. Like I am failing as a pastor and I'm failing at my job and I'm supposed to be like taking ground. I mean, I'm an Enneagram, like eight wing seven. So the fact that like, I can't move mountains during this season is horrendous to me. The yeah. fact that there are no people to party with during this season is soul crushing. So like, I just, I just, I feel like, I can't function during this season. Like this has just been really, really hard. Yeah. Um, so for those of you out there who are listening and are like, <laughs> I'm dying inside. <laughs> Me too. Like totally dying on the inside. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's dead on. I mean, one of the things that I've I've even found about myself and even talking with some other uh, buddies and pastors uh, is this idea of numbness. There's just a yeah. sense of numbness. Like, um, like, I was talking to Amy uh, and I just, I don't know how I feel. She, she was kind of, what, what, what's wrong? You, you, you sad, you depressed, you're upset, you're angry. What, what's, what's going on? And it really was, I was like, I'm having a hard time kind of like nailing it down. Like I, I need to go watch inside out, you know, that about your feelings. <laughs> I need to re-touch with all my emotions. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I've actually adopted uh, th this little uh, emotion wheel that's like, oh yeah yeah that it's just helping like okay let me sit down in this moment and like I feel okay, rejected what? I feel disappointed yes. I feel <laughs> and and I think that that that's that's something that we can't like just you can't just go past it which I, I know all of our our we're about to go to something I, we're going deep on the Enneagram here in a second but like our threes our our brothers and sisters who are threes who just want to achieve and, and and like we don't yeah. have time for feelings let's just get things done and like let's check some boxes yeah and I love threes I, we, we need them to, to move the ball forward but I even finding myself like no 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 let's just slow down so your mm -hmm. your your encouragement to like not skip over this I think is is really important it's something yeah. that speaks to me um, because I find myself wanting to do that. It's like, uh, let me just numb this. Maybe the next thing I eat or the next thing I watch will help me feel whatever I need to feel. So I don't have to feel what I'm actually not right. willing to feel in the moment. Yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things you said, Beth, was, you know, uh, you're, you're defining reality. Here's my reality right now. 
And as leaders, that's really important is to sit down and kind of say, hey, let's let's actually define reality. What's going on? Because what you're feeling, I think not only are pastors across the country feeling, but I think there are tons of just just everybody. Everybody's feeling this. Like what in the world is going on? Mm. Um, it has been the great upheaval. Um, I mean, well, I remember telling my wife when we got early on in this, it's like nobody gave us a playbook on how to navigate a pandemic as right. as a dad, as a, as a husband, as a pastor. Nobody nobody gave me a playbook. Like I'm like, wh- why wasn't this in college? Nobody showed me how to navigate this. There wasn't and, a course in seminary on how to pastor during a pandemic, right? Not at all, right? Yeah. And so we're like, oh, we're having to do the best we can, make this you know work. My 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 parenting philosophy has always been like, hey, yeah, we're gonna scar our kids. It's just like another dollar another dollar in the the therapy jar, right? right. Right. And it's like, I, I just look at that and say, there's got to be so much grace, you know, as far as parents, as far as workers, as far as what we do for our job, as far as how we're in, in our relationships and as far as how we are as pastors, you know, and there's got to yeah. be all of this grace that we got to give each other. And as we just fall into Jesus in this. So, yeah, actually, it's interesting because a friend of mine, she gave me this, this image that I've really been holding on to. And it's the image of like a, a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, which like in third grade learned about what that was like, oh yeah, metamorphosis, like sure that. And she was like, but do you actually know what that means? Because I thought it meant that the little like antenna turned into the proboscis and the arms somehow magically became wings or whatever. And she was like, no, what actually happens is that that caterpillar melts into goo, like total goo, like becomes unrecognizable to a caterpillar, a big ball of mush, and then starts to reassemble itself. Like all the cells and all the organs reassemble themselves in order to emerge as this butterfly, as this totally different organization and uh, this organism. And so one of the things that I have held on to, and I've told my, my congregation over and over again, is like, listen, right now, if all you feel like doing is pulling the blanket over your head and, and just feel like a big pile of goo, like that's okay. And we're going to go with that right now because God's the God of the goo. Like, we're just going to hold on to that and that's okay. And, and, and reminding myself over and over again, that God's, uh, God's day always begins at night right? So when God is creating everything, he says, and there was evening and there was morning, it always starts at night. And that's when God gets busy. And so, yes, we are in the middle of darkness right now. And we're in the middle of the night and we are not scared, uh, even though it feels horrible. Like I'm not belittling how terrible it feels, um, but God's day begins at night. Um, and so I've really been, when it comes to the church and how do we understand, like, how does the church even matter anymore? I've been really holding on first to this idea that it's okay that the church feels a little bit like goo right now. And that doesn't undermine the fact that the church still matters and that the church is about to become something beautiful. So we have to hold on to the fact that this is goo and that's okay. So as far as where we go from here is I think first it's owning the fact that it's goo and naming those feelings like you were talking about, Terry. It's not skipping over them. It's recognizing, shoot, I don't know why the church matters even anymore. Um, And so I think that for me, my process has been once I got there, it's trying to reimagine what the church is. And and it's trying to name, for me, it's been naming the areas of the church where we've fallen short of what the church was supposed to be. So we talked about those relationships, about how those relationships didn't last a year of not seeing each other, or at least they weren't strong enough bonds to encourage us to continue to try to seek each other out. It was like, oh gosh, I can actually exist without any of you. So 
that's a problem. Like what have we done in the structures of our churches where we can exist without each other? Because if we're really the body of Christ, like if we're really cranking on all eight cylinders and like we're following Holy Spirit into the places that we've been sent, if we're really empowered to do those things, we shouldn't be able to function without each other. Um, and so the fact that we can is a little bit of a problem. I mean, and functioning, I'm using that term like loosely. Um, and so for me, it's been going back, um, to, it's been going back to scripture. We actually started a series on the book of acts and as a, and it was supposed to originally be an eight week series, which is long for our church. Normally we're like four to five. If I have to do six, like I'm dying, like four to (laughs) tears, but we're going to do eight. And then it turned into 11. And then I was like, you know what, guys, I don't know when we're going to end this. Like, we're just going to stick with this. And, um, we've been looking at the book of acts and trying to just go back to the basics and study like what was the church being called to do um and then also trying to give people a lot of grace and a lot of space to re-enter and one of the things that we've been trying to do is not use the language of where you've been stranger like because I think as people are coming out of their cocoons as they're coming out of their house the last thing they want to hear is where you been why haven't I seen you? But instead, friend, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm so glad to see you. And I've missed you. Um, there was a meme going around for a while that was like, um, after this pandemic, you'll know who your real friends are. Mm. And part of me is like, okay, yeah, sort of. But also, can we just give a little grace? Because when somebody has been through a trauma, you don't say, why didn't you show up while you were in the middle of your trauma? Yeah. And so as we return as the church, I think one of the things is to like give people grace for not having shown up, for not being on virtual Zooms, for not tuning in online church. Um, So creating grace in that space. And I think that this summer for our church is going to be a lot of sipping lemonade on our front porches. Like how do we just create space to reconnect with one another? Um, rather than trying to till the earth and move mountains right now and which is really hard for me i am i want to go take on the world um but how do we just do this slow yeah that's really good so can can i ask one one suggestion beth i think for clark's clarksburg church there um you guys need t-shirts that say god is the god of goo could you please do that? In fact, actually, Terry, can we name this podcast God is the God of Goo? Because that's just going to stick in my God head. It's just going to stick in my head the whole time. That's it. It's just, yeah, it's just there. You can't, can't, can't get it out. There's no white out for the brain. But yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. No, that's beautiful. I, I, and I totally am um, 100% behind what you're saying. One of the things when you were talking, Beth, I got to thinking about was, you know, uh, we did a whole podcast series on CME, so Christology, Missiology, and Ecclesiology, yeah. and how your Christology is, should inform your Missiology, which then informs your Ecclesiology. And it seems at this point right now, even before COVID, but especially during COVID, Ecclesiology was, um, it was like up for grabs almost. Like, you know, everybody would like had, no, this is how we do it, this is how we do it. And one of the things we say in Forge is Ecclesiology, whatever form you have, it's beautiful. Like, it's the Bride of Christ, it's the church. But I think a lot of people right now are stopping and going, like you said, I like brunch on Sunday mornings. So how do I how do I do church? Maybe I don't want to go back to this this gathering thing, you know, but but I still love Jesus and I still want to be a part of a you know community that's on mission. I still want to do all this. You know, I wanna I wanna be inspired. And I feel like that's the thing that that um 
we can really look at and say, hey, well, God, what are you doing here? Like, what is going on with this? And letting uh, churches adapt and innovate and experiment and all of those things with yeah. that. And I think the, the churches that are, are the ones that I think are actually going to thrive in the future. The ones who are like saying, yeah, maybe church looks like lemonade on my front porch for a while. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but the ones who are just hammering, oh, no, we got to get back to a gathering. It's got to be this yeah. time. We got to do this. Man, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a long, hard road. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the things that I've been processing to get back on track. Actually, it's when I, when I switched my thinking, this was, this was probably the number one thing that got me my wheels cranking again was, uh, I was reading. I don't even remember what I was reading something. Maybe I was talking to somebody. I don't know. It happened. I always think of myself as like a, a slow cooker crock pot. And like people are throwing stuff in all the time. And I'm like, this soup tastes good, but I have no idea how I made it. Like, so <laughs> at some point encountered this whole thing where there was, um, there was a group of pastors who had gotten together and the question they had been asked was like, what's, how do you fix your church? Like what's wrong with it? And how do you make it better? so that it actually does matter. Right. And so they started going through this whole list of like, oh, our discipleship stuff isn't very strong. Our small groups need work. Children's ministry is not great. We could really be more creative on Sunday mornings, like the whole list of things. And they had no problem coming up with how they fix their church, their congregation. And then they sort of turned the corner and they said, um, they said, okay, now make a list of like, what's wrong with your community? How do you need to fix your community? Everything that's happening outside the church and like start to list that. And what does that look like? And so the pastors had a really hard time listing that because they were so disconnected from their actual community. They had been so consumed by what was happening in their congregation that they had missed what was happening in their, in their community. They, they were totally out of touch. So they took some time, they investigated in the community and then they went back and they, um, and they started answering those questions. And, uh, and basically what, what happened was, is as soon as those pastors shifted their mind from getting people back in the building, fixing their discipleship programs, um, trying to be more creative on Sunday mornings and shifted their focus to thinking, okay, actually I have an affordable housing issue in our community where it costs way over what anybody can afford to live inside of this community. Actually, we have a, a reading problem, a reading gap that has been created by the pandemic. Hey, actually we have, you know, once they were able to name those things and they were able to shift the church's focus to those things, all of the other things followed suit. Mm. The discipleship was stronger. The children's ministry became stronger, like all of those things. And so I suppose that part of the reason we've lost this understanding of why the church has mattered is because we focused so much inwardly for so long that once it became, wait, inwardly, there's nothing there. Like nobody's in the building. Very few people are watching online. There's nothing left to this that it was kind of like, I don't know how to move forward from here. And so, um, and so I think that one of the things that have gotten me traction is shifting from thinking, how do I fix the church? How do I get everybody to come back? How do I get them to tune in? How do we do small groups in this new way to, okay, that's going to take care of itself. How do I actually focus on the community issues that we have right now? And so we started contacting the local elementary schools. I mean, we're a very small congregation. So like, don't think we're huge and we can do a lot. We're very tiny. And so um, let's contact the local elementary school and see what do the counselors need for next year? What kind of trauma uh, help for these kids? How far are grade levels, are reading scores going to be behind? Is there something we can do with that? Um, how do we create spaces for people in our community 
that are outdoor spaces because that's all our community feels comfortable gathering in right now. Um, and our church happens to have a resource of a lot of open land. And so how can we create spaces for people to gather together so that it can be a little bit safe? Um, now, and, and, and also some of the community problems is the issues of racism and stuff like that, that has happened in our area. Um, how do we, we have a very high Asian population, actually white is very low on our demographics. And so large Asian population, Hispanic population, black population. And so how do we create opportunity to talk about some of the racism that has happened and be an advocate for anti-racism in our community? The interesting thing is since we have begun to shift our conversation to talk about community-oriented things and how we can fix the community rather than fixing the church, rather than berating the church, like you guys need to get better, but start talking about fixing the community. The interesting thing that has happened is as our church has begun to re-emerge in a physical way, um, the faces are very different. Mm -hmm. So going into the pandemic, although we were somewhat diverse in our congregation, coming out of the pandemic, the faces that I'm seeing are not white faces. Like we are actually reaching a demographic that lives in our community rather than extrapolating from all of these different white communities across the board. And so I think that, and so as we speak up about racism and anti-racism and, and all of those different pieces and the injustice that has, that the pandemic has sort of shined a spotlight on in the healthcare system and an education system and all that different stuff. As we've begun to talk more freely about those things, um, what I'm finding is that the demographic of our church has begun to shift and change. And more of those people are interested in what we have to say and what we are doing versus fighting our congregation to care about the mission that we're on, which goes back to what you're talking about of like, if you start with mission rather than starting with the church, the church will follow. That's man. That's so inspiring, Beth. Uh, I love, I love the focus you have. And uh, I love that the, the <clears throat> disclaimer that we're just a small church, but we're really tiny. <laughs> I mean, that's, what's what we need. That's, that's what we need to champion. I mean, uh, we, there's so many stories of big churches doing big things. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's old hat. I'm tired yeah. of that. I love hearing the stories of how small churches are making a huge impact in their community by doing little things uh, faithfully. Um, and again, I think you nailed it. It's the idea of, um, not not looking so inward, but putting our focus outward, putting our focus uh, to the the margins. That's where Jesus hung out. He hung out in the in, on the edges and in the margins. And so, if we can get our people focused there, putting our hands there, putting our energy there, our mind there, um, that's where we'll build some real beautiful community, some really strong community that will survive a pandemic. Mm. And I don't know, maybe that crust, that crust that we lost, that that crust of consumerism. It and maybe it, it's not all bad. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if, 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 if what we did lose was that, that level of consumerism, that does free us up to, to do some things that we might maybe have tr been fearful of that. Yeah. Well, if we do this, we may lose some people. Well, right. if we've already lost them, well, let's, let's, let's see if we can put our hands into the margins and, yeah. and do something meaningful. That's going to, that's going to have a, a lasting impact. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition. Beth, thank you so much for for being uh, on the podcast today and and sharing so much. This is I think this is going to be helpful to a lot of our our leaders and those who listen to this podcast. But uh, this season we're doing a little, we're doing something a little bit different on how we end uh, our time. We're asking five quick questions, and so uh, I'm just going to fire hose you with some questions. I'm ready. And, uh, quick, 
you know, gut uh, answers. Uh, nothing, nothing too in depth, but uh, so number one, what are you reading? What, what's been fascinating that you've been reading? Okay. So I have to quick disclaimer. I am on a little bit of a reading sabbatical <laughs> um, because I read, I, well, I am almost running out of this excuse, but I read so much when I finished my master's that I was just like, I just need to stop reading. But now I think it's almost been two years since I finished my master's and I probably need to stop being on a reading sabbatical, but I did. Um, I am reading with my staff, John Rittner's book. Yes. Um, impossibly irritating, positively irritating. So we are reading that and that has been a great staff read to go together. Honestly, it's not anything that's like earth shattering to me. I've heard most of this stuff before, but it's a great way for my staff to come on board and sort of get the more behind the scenes look at the things that I'm talking about. It's funny because as they're reading it, they're like, Beth, you talk about this. Beth, you talk. And I'm like, yeah, I should have written the book before John Rittner did. Just kidding. He did great. And I'm not like trying to rip that off. Um, but there's another book that I just read called Kingdom Come by Reggie McNeil. Um, okay. That's a really good book too. Another great primer to talk about like kingdom um, oriented things. Um, and then if I list anything else, I'm really just lying. Nice. Oh, you know what? Actually, wait, no, there was one more thing I read. So I didn't read it. I listened to it. Um, okay. But when I was really questioning my calling as a pastor um, over the pandemic, I listened to Eugene Peterson's pastor. Oh. Um, that was a great read. And honestly, it just, it was like bomb to my heart because I just needed to hear somebody talk passionately about their calling as a pastor. And um, that was really, really helpful for me. Who, who did the audio book of that? Was it Eugene Peterson or was it someone else? No, I don't think it was. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully I don't was, think it was him. Hopefully it was just a, an older gentleman. That's he just, definitely was older. Yeah. It had a little scratchy voice. There you go. I bet that's just an amazing experience just to listen to that book, especially if it's a very calm voice because it's yep. such a powerful book. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Awesome. That was good. Uh, all right. So number two, what are you watching? Oh, Hand Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I I have a Wednesday night. I have a standing Wednesday night meeting with uh with two of the ladies that I uh that I hang out with through the pandemic. Nice. And we get on, we watch Handmaid's Tale, and I'm trying to watch all the back episodes because I feel like I forgot things, but yeah. then I have like really bad nightmares when I binge watch it. It's awful. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's too close to home, like yeah. too close to home. I, I, I watched the first season of that one and I was like, I can't do season two. But what is oh, what cracks me up is Michael Frost is the biggest fan he, every every season. He talks about it and goes on and on. So you and Frosty need to get together and talk about it. So the thing that's so difficult is one of the people that persons, one of the women that I watch it with, she's um, she's Hindu. And so she doesn't have a context of like scripture or anything like that. And so there's these conversations that happen of like, is that what the Bible really says? And I'm like, I mean... <laughs> Yes, but no, like, no, not at all. Like, that's not what it's, this is the worst interpretation of scripture in the world. Like, yeah. no. Uh, that's good. Yeah, I, I, that's so funny. The, those are great moments, especially if you can, that's what I love, like sharing movies and TV with, with friends who are not yet followers of Jesus. Uh, it's because they, they see stuff like that. Like 12 Years a Slave is such a powerful movie. And there's yeah. a whole scene where, um, uh, the, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking. They're, they're, they're preaching. The preacher comes, right? Yeah, yeah he's yeah. preaching. It's, it's the dude from Prometheus. I'm totally blanking uh, on um, 
uh, anyways, he's an X-Men, all that, but uh, Fassbender, Michael Fassbender, he's like preaching, you know, well, this is what the scripture says. And, you know, someone who, who doesn't know better is like, is that, is that really what happens? And it's like, uh, well, people did that. It's wrong, but people did <laughs> uh, Yeah, so uh, fascinating. That's so yep. good. Uh, all right, question number three. Uh, your funny, funniest thing that happened to you uh, or that you saw during quarantine? I mean, so um, we live on... We live on church property. We're in a parsonage and our church property also has two apartments. There's like, so there's two families that live in those apartments also. So when we first got quarantined, everything shut down. Nobody knew what was going on. Um, nobody knew what to expect. Like we really shut down and we were like, no quarantine, the, per the perimeter, we're the compound. Like nobody gets in, nobody gets out sort of thing. And uh, because we were the only fun that we had we actually set up all of these different things we did tuesday was taco night um thursday was game night and saturday was pop-up cafe and everybody brought like they brought out the espresso machine and i made like little pastry items and we just set up a cafe on our back porch um and we we really and then on saturday we would go or on sunday afternoons we would go tubing down the river and so it was kind of like for I think it was probably for a good six weeks, we had this rhythm um, that after a while was totally unbearable because it was like, I can't keep doing all of this stuff with you guys. Like, this is really hard. But probably my favorite was the pop-up cafe um, that we did on Sunday, Saturday mornings. And we just, I don't know, we met at eight and nobody left till one. And that was beautiful. Like I miss pop-up cafe. So hopefully one day. We'll get awesome. shut down again. Am I vote? Am I hoping for that? That's not right. Round two, mutated strand. No, that's not. Right. I'm not hoping for that. That's terrible. Uh, that's so funny. Um, all right, number four. Uh, what is bringing you life right now? What's life giving right now? Life giving is uh, I'm gardening a lot. Uh, I have always garden. Well, for the past five years, I've had a garden. Um, last year it got really big cause I had a lot of time on my hands and this year I'm trying to pare it down because <laughs> there's not as much time. Uh, but for me, there's something about keeping my hands busy and there's something that happens internally in my head and my heart. And when I have my hands busy to garden, um, that's a really good spiritual discipline and spiritual, um, connection. So gardening and running, I'm running a lot. So those are giving me life. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then yeah, the, the final question, number five, uh, what is your favorite thing about Clarksburg? Honestly, um, my favorite thing about Clarksburg is the diversity of this area. Like Clarksburg's weird. Um, it didn't start even growing until 2003. And since 2003, we have exploded dramatically. I mean, maybe like, I think we've, grown by, I don't even know. I'm going to say a number and then that's going to be wrong. But like, <laughs> like it didn't exist in 2003. And now like Clarksburg is, is everything, but it's drawn this group of people that are from all over. Um, so I used to do the heritage night for my kids elementary school. And so anybody who could represent the country of origin would come and they'd set up a little thing and make some food or whatever. And there'd be like 46 countries that were represented um, in that one elementary school. It was like the UN building where everybody's speaking different languages. Um, and so I am always reminded that the kingdom of heaven contains every tribe, tongue, language, nation. I mean, it contains everything. And so I always feel like the nations have gathered in Clarksburg, Maryland, which like, that's like nowheresville. Um, and, and I think I love that more than anything. So 
when I'm at the coffee shop or whatever in town, not during the pandemic, but when I'm working there or whatever, I'm the only one in there speaking English. I'm the only white person in there. Um, and so I really, really love the, the diversity of that and the challenge that presents in terms of me not centering my white experience um, and instead having to figure out like, okay, well, well, what does it, what does it mean to somebody who's from this other country to do or to say this thing? Um, so I love that about Clarksburg. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. Thanks for being on this with us. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate your insight and your wisdom. This has been great. Um, if you want to know more about Beth and her church, you can go to clarksburgchurch.com. And on the front page is a smiling picture of Beth right there. There it is. Yeah. About us. And then there's a little arrow and it's just, there's Beth. So yep. feel free to it's check the video that out. And I do something real stupid at the end. So watch it. <laughs> All right. Even better. Yeah. We'll just leave that teaser right there. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I would love to connect with you. If you want to connect to Forge, um, you know, ForgeAmerica.com, uh, continue to reach out to us, continue to have the conversation. But again, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. Peace out.